Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Connecting to the big show. Three, two, one. I used to get a buzz out at Robin, getting in trouble, of course, getting locked up. We turn our phones off in the evening, and it's great. I just think there's too many other things going on in life to enjoy. The government putting that up now is just, it's not even the nail in the coffin. It's they've dug the hole and they've thrown you in for it. Join the conversation. Call 0818 969696. Extra WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Cork's 96FM. We'll talk more about the rugby in a while and we'll check in with uh, Ken up at Cork Airport where people are queuing up to board flights to Paris. I was listening to the Vox Pop in news. Do you know what it is? Uh, this is our eighth quarter final. We've lost the previous seven and I wouldn't care if we were playing the, and no disrespect to them, the second team at Dolphin. I would be worried about the uh, quarter, the quarterfinal of the World Cup. It, it, that's just how I don't think I'll sleep very well tonight. Uh, um, can we dare to dream just to lift that flipping hoodoo? We'll talk about it more during the morning. Friday the 13th. I, I only just realised it when I looked at the date in the wall. Friday the 13th. If ever there was a day I hated... All through my life, it was Friday the 13th. I have so many small little things that happened to me on a Friday the 13th. I had two bikes stolen, push bikes. I fell off a push bike on a Friday the 13th. I lost my wallet on a Friday the 13th. I had a phone stolen on a Friday the 13th. All the... I hate it. I'm a triskaidekaphobic. I hate Friday the 13th. So just, just putting you to the wise... I'm not at me. I'm not at me sharpest today because I'm worried about the date on the wall. Okay. <laughs> so bear with me. Good morning. 0818 96 96 96. The number of the text or WhatsApp is 083 396 96 96. And the email opinion at 96fm.ie. It is in East Cork we start with the story that we broke into live uh, two minutes to 12 yesterday. The major development in the search of a house in Yall following the arrest of a man on suspicion of the murder of Tina Satchwell. He was then released without charge and then re-arrested yesterday. There was a, a media briefing at Middleton Garda Station yesterday afternoon given by Superintendent Adrian Gamble. The investigation team based here in Middleton Garda Station continues to investigate all of the circumstances surrounding the murder of Tina Satchwell. Tina was reported missing from her home in Grattan Street in Yall County Cork in March 2017. A Garda technical examination at that residence is continuing and a second search of the location between Yall and Killa County Cork has been completed. 
Yesterday evening, the Garda Technical Bureau team discovered what are believed to be human remains. The coroner was notified and the state pathologist, Dr. Bolster, has attended the scene this morning. The remains have been removed to Cork University Hospital, where they will be subject to further examination, including DNA analysis. Earlier today, a male in his 50s was arrested on suspicion of murder and is currently detained under the provisions of Section 4 of the Criminal Justice Act 1984 at the Garda Station in Cork County. The family of Tina Satchwell continue to be updated on the progress of this investigation. A family liaison officer has been appointed and at this time my thoughts and the thoughts of the investigation team are firmly and continue to be with them at this difficult time. Again, I appeal to any person who may have any information on the murder of Tina Satchwell, no matter how insignificant that you think that may be, to contact the investigation team here at Middleton on 021-462-1550, the Garda Confidential Line on 1-800-666-111 or any Garda station. That's Superintendent Adrian Gamble of Middleton Garda Station. Your newspapers are full of detail this morning on the circumstances surrounding the discovery of the skeletal remains. Paul Bourne of Virgin Media News joins me again. Paul, we don't know for certain that it is Tina just yet. We will know that by the end of the day. But it's looking fairly likely, isn't it? Good morning again. Good morning, PJ. Um, It is really, I think, um, we're almost certain. But obviously DNA will have to prove that 100%. I know that um, samples of DNA have been taken from Tina Satchel's family to match with the, to see if they're the match of the the remains. Um, but look, it's it's almost a given at this stage. Um, you know, Gardaí, we're not saying at any stage yesterday, oh, hold on, you know, we're not 100% sure. Uh, don't be jumping to any conclusions. But there was nothing like that yesterday said at any stage. So I think this is a given that uh, the remains those yesterday are those of uh, Tina Satchwell. Mm. We've no notion yet of a cause of death, or do we? Absolutely no, 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 no uh, idea whatsoever. Obviously, the uh, post mortem w- was started yesterday. It may continue today. Uh, once that's completed, uh, I know Gardy will not release the results of the post mortem for operational reasons. We we may not even get the result at this stage, but mm-hmm. we would probably get the positive identification. It could take a number of of days before there's an actual cause of death. But, um, you know, it, it may happen. It may not happen. Mm. We just don't know because of the difficulty, because of its human remains, skeletal remains, that's going to prove probably a, a little bit more difficult in the in the autopsy that's been carried out. But I think that the first and foremost is most important is uh, identification, which I'm sure we will have uh, later today. The house is still being searched. Do we know what else they're looking for, Paul? I think anything and everything. Um you know, just because human remains were found yesterday, that doesn't mean, okay, lads, let's take down the hoarding and head off. They will continue their detailed, minute search of that uh, property on Grattan Street in Yall until they're 110% satisfied there is nothing else linking uh, the house to Tina other than that that she lived there mm-hmm. for the two years with her husband of 25 years. Um, they will, you know, continue searching they will continue digging. They will continue examining all uh, phone and mobile phone records, any 
paper that uh, invoices or diaries they come across all the clothing will be examined everything mm -hmm. will be going, gone through with a fine tooth comb and it's only when the chief inspectors and superintendents are satisfied we're done we have enough okay let's close the door and walk away from here but uh, once they do the, the case is by no means over. Mm -hmm. They searched a lockup unit yesterday. Many people might have been surprised or it might have been new information to some people. Where is it and why did they search it? Um, the lockup was used by the suspect who's in custody on suspicion of murdering Tina Satchwell. Um, you won't find it unless you know the area. I put it that way to you. <laughs> it is difficult to find it. Um, we went there yesterday and we filmed this. It was it was on the news yesterday. Um, basically, if I can tell you this, there is a filling station on the Cork to Yall Road. It's called Burgess Filling Station. I know it well. I don't know if you're I aware. I know it well. Okay? Um, it's really only the, the once you come out of Yall, I think it's the only filling station between Yall and Killa. So I, I'll give you an example. If you're coming from Cork and you are coming from Yall and Burgess is on the right, there's a right-hand turn just after Burgess filling station. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you might see a, a white van advertising a kitchen um, yes. company. It goes up so, into a place they know locally as Killer County. That's, that's the is general that, Is that what it's yes. called? Yes. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um, I know the well, area. You turn, right, you turn right after Burgess and basically, you follow a road. You're taking a crossroad and left and a right. It's 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 a way, 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 way. Okay, down. so it's up in the middle of nowhere. We're talking about seven, seven or eight miles off the road, off the beaten track, and the suspect used to have this lockup. And uh, I understand that the suspect used to do a lot of servicing of cars in and around that area, and uh, they searched it from uh, yesterday morning, and they took away the cordon from that I think just after before three o'clock yesterday okay. and uh, my understanding is that there was nothing of any evidential value found in that but they had to make sure that it was examined and uh, the forensics went in there they had to dot their I's and cross their T's to make sure that you know there's nothing happening here that, but they, they found nothing to, to help the investigation at that lockup. Okay. The man who was arrested is still in custody and um, pending whether he took breaks or asked to rest or whatever, something's got to be done with him by this evening, I would suspect. Yeah, I, I mean, he was arrested just after, or just before 12, I think, when we were coming on air with you yesterday. Um, so he can be held for 24 hours with the periods. of. So we'd say from 12 until 12 today, but if he slept at any stage during the night. Now, when he was initially arrested on Wednesday, he didn't really take any breaks. He went through the night with his line of questioning. Now, I, I, I don't know how he um, carried on or didn't carry on yesterday. So we, 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 we just don't know. We're waiting to see if, if there will be a charge or a release there today. But I think if, 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 he, if he took breaks, we could be talking about five o'clock today for a court, if there's a charge. If there's a charge. And again, we don't know whether there will or yeah. will not be. That's a procedure within itself. Paul, people are beginning to ask some questions. And one of the questions is, the house was searched before... Why didn't anything, why wasn't anything found then? Um, I suppose, PJ, yeah, about a month after Tina Satchwell went missing, a forensic team went in and carried out a detailed examination of the scene. Um, I suppose, look, lots of people are speculating 
A, B and C. Yeah. And I really can't go into it, you know. Um, no, and, know, and the reason, people, and I don't think, think I, I put it out there, Paul, purely as a demonstration yeah. of, we know that it was searched before, we don't know why nothing was found, only time yeah, will tell look, the answers to that. Pe- exactly, and people will come to all sorts of conclusions. And I, I, I have my own theory, and I, I have been told some uh, bits of information, and I really can't go into it, I suppose. Sure, sure, sure. Far, I, you know, you know, so we, we always know more look, than we can tell, yeah. Exactly, exactly, and look, this will all come out in the wash. You know what I mean? So, um, and I know, look, people are jumping on the bandwagon on social media and having a go off this uh, agency or that agency and saying this is how it should have happened and that happened. Look, the guards conducted a, a very, very thorough investigation. Um, sometimes um, people play tricks with an investigation and try to confuse and, you know, yeah. put people off the track. And I, I, I suppose that's as far as I can go on. I know, I know, I get it, I get it. And in the fullness you know. of time, we, we will know more. Yeah. The yeah. sense in the streets, Paul, you're very good at, at, at talking to local people and finding out how they felt yesterday. Yeah, I, I'll just go back to Tuesday night, I suppose, when the, the house was cordoned off uh, just after five o'clock. You had lots and lots of people down there. You probably had about 100, 150 people and a lot of um, teenagers. And there was this, and I hate saying this word, but there was a sense of excitement amongst some of the teenagers and they were gossiping, you know, as, as, as they would and as I probably did when I was that age. But as time went on, there was um, the following day and all day Wednesday and all day yesterday and into the evening, there was this eerie silence and people were passing and they were just bowing their heads they were blessing themselves and they were saying you know hello Paul uh, hopefully the family will get some closure at last uh, a result um, you know there was no oh Jesus this and Jesus that What uh, you know blah blah they were starting was to lay just, flowers weren't they they were they were there was bunches of flowers um, one little note read um, um, what was this so so near all the time Rest in peace, Tina. Saw that one. Um, Saw and that. then last night, uh, there was loads, loads of flowers. There was um, the priest actually went in there yesterday afternoon. Father Bill Birmingham, he's the parish priest in Yall, and I met with him after he came out, and um, he said he was asked to come along and to say the uh, prayers for the dead, and he said that basically it was very, very sad, and that um, they, they they stood around a coffin at the back of the house and they prayed all of the people there, the guards and uh, the search party and, and the priest. And uh, he spent there just about 10 minutes there and, and and off he went. But he said it's an extremely sad situation. Last night then in the um, the house next door in the window, there was a, a candle flickering and um, it was lashing rain last night. And there was this eerie silence on Grattan Street. Um, and just, I think, you know, there was the odd car. We we were live at ten o'clock into a program on, on on Virgin last night, but there was this the odd car going driving up the street. Um, I think a lot of people stayed at home because of the rain, but it was just there was an eerie silence in the street last night, and the house still sealed off. The candle in the window next door flickering, and just a, a guard or two there still on duty, and um, you know, people just saying thank God there's some closure because the family, um, I think they've had six and a half years of not knowing mm-hmm. and pure heartache, really. Mm-hmm. I remember talking to one of her relations very early in this story and the one thing she said 
was Tina would never just go without telling us. She would never do that. No, they they kept in regular contact. Um, And, you know, I said yesterday when she went missing, she walked out of the house, according to uh, the husband, that... um, and she'd never go anywhere without the dogs. She loved her dogs. They were mm-hmm. they were her babies and her parrot. You know, honestly, she she absolutely loved them. People have asked me actually, if you don't mind me saying, people said, "What has happened to the animals?" Because yes, Paul. This story, this story, honestly, for you know, lots of stories grip the nation, and people remember this story or that story. But I think everybody in the country is fully across yeah. what's happened. Ruby, wasn't it, and Heidi were the two dogs? And, Ruby and Heidi. Yeah. I think one of the dogs died um, some time ago, but on Tuesday night, the parrot and the dog were removed and are being cared for at an animal welfare sanctuary. So I know animal lovers were really, really concerned as well about the animals, and hopefully that that might just um, bring a little bit of relief to them, but that's the dog and the parrot are, are in good hands, okay. you know. Okay. Do you know what, Paul, something that struck me as I watched you on television last night and watched all the coverage of the last couple of days and knowing the area as well as we all do, God, you know what, lads, this isn't Netflix anymore. That's no, it, Switcher, it's, doesn't it's, it? it? Yeah, it's, it's, it's real. It's real. It's, um, you know, people are... <laughs> It's, it's. I know there's a, a life, but people are saying it, it's it's the the real thing, the movie. You know, yeah. it's um, a bestseller. God forgive me for saying that, but that's what people are saying. It is. Um, and it, it's here. It's happened in y'all. This little lovely seaside town. Yeah, much beloved of of Cork people. Paul, I'll leave it there with you. I've no doubt we'll speak again. Like yesterday, if anything should happen in the next couple of hours. You know where we are. Always great to speak with you. Paul Bourne, a Southern correspondent with Virgin Media News and uh, occasional presenter of this here programme. And Paul, may I compliment you on your extraordinary work over the last couple of days uh, with this story. Thank you very much. 0818 96 96 96. To address that question I brought up with Paul, and I knew he didn't have an answer, even before I asked it, but just to reflect what people are saying, could you ask how come something wasn't found before? When a woman went missing, for six and a half years, and seems she never left her house. What were the Gadi doing? That is a question that can only be answered in the fullness of time. And believe me, answered it will be. 0818 96 96 96. I've already seen a couple of messages coming in to know could we play Ireland's Call at some point today. I personally would love to. I would love to play Ireland's Call. We, we might need a United Nations intervention to see if we can, we might get a, we might just get a chorus in at some point because it would be appropriate for the day that's in it, wouldn't it? And uh, yesterday we got a message in with regard to the Middle East and one that hadn't occurred to me. Uh, someone very worried about a relative of theirs who was serving with the Irish forces in Lebanon. And because of what's been happening there in the last week, they are spending a lot of time in their bunkers. And having been in Lebanon and made a documentary out there, and been in the bunkers of which this person is speaking, I know they're not a comfortable place. They're tight and they're cramped and you sit in there with your helmet and your flak jacket and it's not a place you want to spend any more than you have to. Okay, military people are trained for it and this particular individual who contacted us yesterday was very worried. They said the lads are spending hours in there and they've no food and there's no light and no water and no this and no that. We got a message to say 
the lads in the lab are fine. I was on Facebook Messenger with two of them. They have their own generators and they have plenty of grub. That's not signed, but thank you for it. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Live. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Corks 96 FM. Check this out. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Corks 96 FM. Let's have some fun. It's the show on your radio every afternoon, giving you free stuff. God, that's brilliant. Thanks so much. You can also confess your undying love for a Cork singer. We love you, Kian. <laughs> <laughs> and I squeeze in these guys as well. Hello, uh, this is Calvin House. Hey, it's Taylor. Hi, it's Niall Horn here. Make me your soundtrack every day, 12 to 4. Simon Murdoch. Midday to 4 p.m. This is how we do it. Cork's 96 FM. There's a fantastic promo uh, for the RTE coverage of the Rugby World Cup where the great Donald Lenehan says... Uh, this time we can dare to dream. There's three plane loads of people going out of Cork Airport this morning to the go to the Rugby World Cup quarterfinal in Paris. Ken Parrott is there, a man who knows his rugby. Ken, can we dare to dream? Good morning. Oh, good morning, PJ. I think Shane Horgan said it on Virgin Media the other night. He, he quoted Tracy Chapman and he said, if not now, then when? And I think that, that summed it up for me as well. Uh, yeah, why not? Why mm. not? We've never gone and played the All Blacks as favourites. We're going in as favourites. The bookies have us favourites and they rarely get it wrong. So we can dare to dream. And we're in the airport now. There are three charters going from Cork Airport to France to bring fans over to the game. This is going to be... I think the fans have as much responsibility on their shoulders as the players do to bring the atmosphere and just to lift that team because they're going to need every ounce, every every millimetre, every percent that they can get, they're going to need it. And I think the fans know it and I think they're up for it as well. It is so great that we're based in the Stade de France because it's such a magnificent stadium, plus it's so easy to get to. There will be thousands there tomorrow night from Ireland. There will, and it's on our side. There won't be that many There won't be that many travelling from New Zealand to get there. There'll be an amount from Ireland. Tickets are like gold dust already, but they're popping up. There are tickets available. There's stuff popping up every now and again, so it is going to be absolutely brilliant. This is, this is the game. This is probably the biggest rugby game in the history of Irish rugby. The biggest thing with it, Ken, and you and I know this, and we've watched it in agony over the years, this is our eighth quarterfinal. We've been beaten in the last seven. What I was saying about dare to dream is, can we dare to dream of getting out of the damn thing? It's a hoodoo. It's a monkey on our back the size of Paris. Yeah, we've done it. We're not strangers to it. We've done it before. It's all about, I think, in, in any job or any sporting it's about momentum it's about belief and we've gone to france we've beaten the, we've beaten france there we've gone we've beaten new zealand put all those dots together there is no overhanging cloud that are going to catch this team because there's there's guys on the team who've beaten new zealand more than they've lost to them and there's a lot of them there that have beaten new zealand more than they've lost to them so they don't have that they don't have that oh we're afraid of the all blacks they don't mm. have that i had posters of that guy on my wall when i was young that, that, that ship has sailed. We're now in a new era of Irish rugby where we're number one in the world, but we're number one for a reason. So we're, we're, we're facing the ultimate enemy. But if we can get past this, I'd like dare, dare to dream then because I think the semi-final would be that bit easier. And it comes down to who we could possibly face in a final. For me, that's either going to be South Africa or France. Yeah, and we could have, we could have been facing France at, at this stage. I mean, when you think about it, this is the preferred quarter-final draw. And if that's between New Zealand and France... 
you you watch more rugby, more live rugby than the rest of us put together because of your position as stadium announcer down in Thomond from time to time, and I think you do it over to Musgrave Park as well. You watch these matches both as someone who sees a lot of rugby and as a fan. Be honest with Absolutely. me, Ken. Call it. Oh, if I'm honest with you, I would have preferred to face France to New Zealand. Call it Ireland by a Jack Crowley drop goal in the last minute. Ooh, Jack Crowley. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Somebody was saying last night that um, who it was, if we can remember the time we put 14 on them in the first mm-hmm. 10 minutes. If we do that tomorrow night, they won't come back. We have to get an early lead. That's my view. No. No. I couldn't disagree more. They've got Joe Schmidt at the helm now as well. He knows us well. He knows our play. The, the All Blacks can come back from anywhere. They can attack from anywhere in the pitch. That doesn't phase them. To put on an All Black jersey has got such an amount of pride that goes with it. They don't even swap jerseys at the end of the game usually because they, they have this theory of, I've worked so hard to get this jersey. I'm not yeah, giving it away at the end of true. the game. Other, rugby, other international rugby players hate that about them because it's very disrespectful. But And I don't like that either. I only heard that recently on a podcast I was listening to. They don't like it at all. And they, they can come back. They're never over. They're never out. And they're never finished. We took our eye off the ball against Scotland and they, they scored two quick and easy, avoidable tries. Soft ones. If, we do that for one, if we do that for one second against these guys, they will teach us a quick lesson. But I think nobody on that pitch, as, as of so far, we've seen, we've seen the best of nobody so far. This is building up where ta- our time is perfect. Mm. We are ready to peak, and we're going to peak tomorrow, fingers crossed. Are you at all worried about James Lowe or Mac Hansen? James with the dodgy eye and Mac with a with worry of some calf, but they're both playing. No, because, and again, I've given this a bit of thought, I think the medical team there, they're not going to risk him. I think the attitude is the next guy up, which would have been Jimmy O'Brien, Keith Earls was withdrawn, so he's injured, but the next guy up, is just as good. Yes, James Lowe and Mac Hansen are amazing and they are our starting choice, but we'll need them as much for the next game and the next game. So to risk them here would effectively be to rule them out possibly going yeah. forward. Yeah. You're looking, so you're I looking don't at, think they'd risk anybody. You're looking at two men, give either one of them a square inch and they're through it like, the, like Bugs Bunny. And we need, we need that. We need that. Ken, you're not going, are you? I wish. No, I'm not. <laughs> are you going to be down the fan zone tomorrow night? I sure am in the Marina Market. Looking forward to that. Yeah, to just tell people about that while you're there. Yeah, we've been down there for every game so far. So they have the guys in the pop-up movie club set up a huge big screen in the Marina Market. And it's a case of come on down, you know, bring, bring a few beers if you want to. They don't mind that too much once it's within reason. And there's a big screen, but it's, it's, it's ideally a family event. So bring the kids. It's going to be a great atmosphere. It's a good one to go to. Come join us. It all, I think it kicks off around 7 o'clock. It's dark. It's a big, big screen, and it's loud. It is brilliant. And we're daring to dream. Ken Perrett from Cork Airport, where they're flying out in their droves. To France we go. Simon Lewis covers rugby for the examiner. Same question to you, Simon, uh, to open with. Can we dare to dream? Good morning. Morning to you. Yeah, yeah, of course we can. Um, Ireland uh, has never been in a better place, as Ken said, Um but I, I would still call it a 50-50 game. I'm not quite as confident as Ken. Mm. Um, just I've seen the All Blacks. Uh, I was in New Zealand last summer. They, you, as as he said, you know, you can give them half a chance and they'll take it. Um, Ireland were were up in that first test in Eden Park 15 months ago, and uh, Johnny Sexton went off. And um, I wouldn't say Ireland fell apart, but uh, New Zealand smelt blood and the All Blacks pounced and they won that game handy enough, six tries. The last time Ireland conceded more than 
four four tries in a game. They've won 17 since, and that gives them an awful lot of confidence. Mm. Um, and they've never been better in a better place. But um, it's still a 50 game for 50 50 game for me. The series in 2022, you just referred to it. They are hurting from that because nobody goes to New Zealand and wins a series. They're smarting from that. Do they want to give us a kicking for it? Absolutely, and we've seen we've seen all black sides um, exact revenge on Irish teams before. If you remember, after um, Ireland got that historic first win in Chicago at ah, Soldier yeah. Field, twenty sixteen, senseless the next day. Yeah, absolutely, and um, it's it's happened before, and um, they won again in twenty eighteen, November twenty eighteen at the Aviva, and look what happened in the two thousand and nineteen quarter-final, absolutely walloped again. Ireland were on the downward turn then. But they're back now, and this is a, a different Ireland team. It's a much stronger, uh, mentally more resilient Ireland team, a more adaptable Ireland team who can think on their feet, who don't you know, play to a prescription. They, they play what they see in front of them, mm-hmm. and um, they problem-solve on the hoof. And if the, the Ireland have never had a better chance of getting this done and reaching a semi-final, and who knows what after that. You sit in press boxes watching these games and we see a lot of coverage or footage of um, Andy Farrell and and Paul O'Connell chatting and exchanging notes and 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 all that. The adaptability of this team, Farrell said, lads, you know how to play, go out and play. And that's been a huge revelation for them, hasn't it? Absolutely. And we see it week in, week out. We saw Josh van der Fleer throwing line-outs He's, a, he's a, an open side flanker. He was he was bamboozling the Scots in uh, Murrayfield last uh, last spring when Ireland won the Grand Slam. Keen Healy, a prop, playing a hooker in scrums. We saw it last Saturday against the poor Scots again. Um, Gary Ringrose and Jameson Gibson Park, a centre and a scrum half, playing on the wings after Hanson and Lowe went off injured before half-time. Um, they can think on their feet. They can adapt. They can play multiple positions. Um, in the forwards as well and um, there, there's never been a better prepared Ireland side and that's down to not only Andy Farrell and Paul O'Connell and the other assistant coaches but a performance coach by the name of Gary Keegan mm. a sports psychologist he, he helped the Dublin uh, footballers to all those All-Irelands he helped the Limerick hurlers and uh, he, he brought Irish boxing to a new level in, in terms of Olympic medals so this is a serious backroom team that um, has got this Ireland squad primed to, to go further than any Ireland team has gone before. A last word about, about Johnny Sexton. You know, here in Munster, he, he wouldn't have had a, a big fan base when he, he took the jersey off of Ron Nagara back in the day. But now we look upon him, 38 years of age. What an absolute maestro. How important is it that he does not get injured tomorrow night? Well, this is possibly where the, the game... Uh, will be decided on discipline, on fitness, um, on uh, yellow cards, potentially, and on injuries. Um, Sexton is clearly integral to this island team, still at the age of 38. Um, he looks as if he could go on playing for another four years. Um, don't rule him out for a World Cup in the, the next time around at the age of 42. But um, I think in Jack Crowley, they've got a... a, a uh, a still raw fly half, obviously a Munster favourite, and he's shown it for Munster. Mm. Um, he's he's nailed some important kicks for Ireland too, and I think there's such experience around 
Jack Crowley whenever he comes on. And even if it's in the first half, if Sexton gets injured, I think, again, this is an Ireland team that has more backup, more experience uh, now to deal with those problems, even even progressed from 15 months ago when they kind of fell apart a little bit just before half-time at Eden Park, as I, as I mentioned earlier. Mm. So, you know, I think we're in a good place. It all still revolves around Sexton and he's playing at the peak of his powers. But Ireland can get it done without him, I feel. Call it for me, Simon. Oh, I'm going to have to go with Ireland, aren't I? Um, <laughs> like, the heart, the heart says, uh, says something a little bit different from the head, but let's go with Ireland. Yeah, the heart, the heart says Ireland. The head says the fingers will be bitten down to the knuckles. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> enjoy, enjoy, Simon. We're off to a press conference, so enjoy um, today and tomorrow and the match and the rest of it, hopefully the rest of the World Cup. Simon Lewis, who does uh, rugby for the examiner. 0818-969696. The great Justin Marshall, who won 81 all-black caps and scored 24 tries for the all-blacks. He's actually tipping Ireland. We'll hear from him in a while. Yeah, lots of stuff coming in about all sorts of different uh, subjects. We will be talking to Michal Martin later this morning. He's popping into us about uh, 20 or quarter to 12. We will talk a little bit about budget, but I want to have a kind of a general chat with the minister. We'll talk to him about Israel as well because he's minister for foreign affairs. But we want to lighten the mood a little bit coming into Friday. So I've got some... uh, some interesting topics of conversation for, for me, Hall Martin. But we have one question there on fostering and foster caring, which I want to ask him because foster carers are not at all happy with the budget. And if you listen to them explain why, you can see why very, very clearly. So we'll put that and other questions to Hall Martin later this morning, 23. We'll hear from Justin Marshall in the next hour. I also had a lovely email from Donald Lenehan, who's an old pal and an old friend of Cork's 96 FM. I had an email from, from Donald overnight, so I'll read it to you. It's a very short one, very brief one, because he's contracted to all sorts of different people. But I'll, I'll give you that after after 10. But uh, I want to thank Steve Bennett and apologise. Yesterday I was talking to Steve and then we had to break to y'all for obvious reasons. Um, they had found a body uh, in y'all or they'd found human remains in y'all. So we broke away from Steve as he was talking to us about a new game called Dungeons and Naggins. Our apologies, Steve, and thank you for your patience with us yesterday. And we're back now for a little while to talk about Dungeons and Naggins. Good morning again. Uh, thanks very much, PJ. No problem at all. Good to be back. So, it's a derivative of Dungeons and Dragons, but it's not Dungeons and Dragons by any manner of means. No, it would be ideal for people who've heard of Dungeons and Dragons, but haven't been able to get to play it because it, it's it, Dungeons and Dragons. It's more popular than ever with uh, people seeing the kids on Stranger Things playing it. And it, it takes hours 
and it requires loads of planning and it's very hard to get grown adults to commit to a time to meet up to do a thing for a long time. So my game works in that it's a board game. You can play it in 30 minutes or less. Really? So Yes, indeed. Tell me about the format of it because Dungeons and Dragons is complicated. You can learn this one in a few minutes, I'm told. Yes, indeed. I've got a setup and a how to play video and they're both about a minute or two minutes long. You roll dice, you flip cards and you drink. It's very, very simple. You roll high, that's good. You roll low, that's bad. And you flip cards and you uncover new and cool Irish-themed fantasy adventure characters. Like you can you can fight Pine Martins or Thatcher and Cromwell. You can get a chicken fillet roll or a, a flat seven up as an item and, and use those to replenish your health to survive through the... It's called the dungeon deck. So there's a random stack of cards in the dungeon deck each time. Some of them are encounters like um oh that you can go on your j1 where you lose uh you lose health uh, but you you gain experience <laughs> and you drink there are cue cards that actually tell you to drink there are uh rolls of the dice so it uses a 20 sided uh die and it's uh, when you roll you get a 20 everyone drinks when you roll you get a 1 everyone drinks those are those are special dice. numbers Yes, indeed. Yeah, twenty-sided dice. Sides not... on a dice. How'd you manage that? There's only there's only six sides on a regular dice, but then in Monopoly you had to use two of them. This is cutting out the middleman. You just go for a die with twenty sides on it, and it's a lot of fun. There's only a five percent chance of getting a a, a a one or a twenty, and when you get one of those, something amazing or something horrible happens, and you drink. Is the dice not the size of a slitter? It's not at all. No, it's very compact. It all fits inside. The full board game's about the size of a book. So you imagine you could pop that in your in your handbag or whatever and take it out to the pub and and uh, yeah, take it take it on the go as well. It sounds like great fun for a gang of adults and a big stocking filler coming up to the Christmas. Are you into board games, Steve, in general? I am indeed. Yeah, I go along to a uh, board game night near me in uh, in Navit called Reroll. And it's uh, a lot of board game uh, shops do this. You probably have one in Cork as well, where it's a board game shop. Sometimes it's a cafe as well. And uh, they'll have a night where grown adults like myself can go in and play games with friends. It's become a huge part of my social life. And I know it is for a lot of other people as well. Yeah, These games aren't just for nerds anymore. They're for everybody. Yeah. We had a board game shop, actually, I think, in Cork one time called Tabletop, but it, but it closed. But they are, big, they are big business. Smiths will shift trailer loads in the run-up to Christmas. So is this a family thing? Are you, are you part of a family of board game players, or what's the story? Uh, I, I play board games with my partner. We play board games, we play video games. You can see all about the ones I like and my recommendations for great ones to play with couples uh, or for couples to play together on the couch. Um, that's all on my Instagram and my TikTok and all that at Dungeons and Nagins. Loads of recommendations. Is Dungeons I'm really and Nagins an adult game, by the way? It's not one you... <laughs> yes. I mean, yes. It's perfectly possible to play the game without drinking. It's a lot of fun. We've done a lot of playtesting in like dry venues where no one was drinking and everyone had a great time. I've had friends with children who I've sent playtester copies of the game. They've had a great time playing it as well. You don't have to drink. There's no, there's no, there's not too much rude stuff. I mean, you kill your enemies in the game, but you, you don't, um, you don't, there's no cursing or anything like that. But <laughs> at every table, there's usually cursing. It depends on your family. I'm not going to get into it. Yeah, uh, that's but, a bit like Monopoly in that regard, isn't it, really? 
I, yeah. I, 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 it's safest, I believe, to say the game's over over twenty ones because I'm I'm trying to sell it overseas as well. It was just and, and then it's created a few a bit of anger amongst the, the eighteen to twenty year olds. To be honest, some of them online aren't happy. Right? Can you cheat at it? <clears throat> Uh, yes, you absolutely can. You could lie about how high your role is, but there wouldn't be a huge point in cheating because it's a co-op game, meaning two to six players at the same table. You're playing as a team against the dungeon deck. So you win or lose as a team. So it's more uh, crack, to be honest. There's a bit of strategy involved here. There absolutely is. You'll pick your hero card, whether you're the pint man or the muck savage or the teacher or the artist or a few others as well you will have skills of strength, dexterity, intelligence, and crack. Some of them you're good at, and some of them you'll be bad at. So when you roll, you're going to add or take away a little bit. So there is a strategy. If, if you have a team member like the Pint Man, who's good at strength and quite good at crack as well, that's what he should try and, and roll for in the game. Is it in the shops now, Steve? It's not. It's on Kickstarter at the moment, meaning that you would go and basically get your pre-order copy of the game guaranteeing the game to get made uh, so I don't end up... Basically, Kickstarter is a place where you can go and do this, pre-order the game so that you I don't end up as a madman with every room in my house filled with boxes and crates of board games. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Mind uh, you, if you I'm tip getting, into... I'm getting all the orders in. If you tap the Irish community in America, Australia, Britain, God knows where else in the world, you'll be a millionaire before next Christmas. Well, that would indeed be lovely. Um, I'll, I'll see what I'll see what I can do. Uh, listen, just spread the word about the game, and we'll see where we can send it. All right. Um, yeah, I'm I'm really happy with how the Kickstarter has been going so far. Um, where the and the more people come in and give, and more people get the game, the better the game gets. We're adding new cards when we reach stretch goals, when we raise more money. So you go to Kickstarter and then look for it. Yeah. Yes. Kickstarter and Dungeons and Naggins. Yes, indeed. Or you could go to dungeonsandnaggins.com or any of the social media. It's called Dungeons and Naggins and there'll be a link there to get you to the Kickstarter. There's a video, there's loads of info. Find out loads more. Because wait till I tell you, there's people ringing us wanting to buy it. Oh, that's wonderful. Very good. Thanks, folks. Listen, if you want it before Christmas, um, you'll have to get the print and play at home version, which requires a tiny bit of uh, a craft on your part. Um, but I'm sure some of you, if you're that uh, um, anxious to get the game very soon, that'd be the best bet. All right. Listen, Steve, thank you. Uh, Steve Bennett, good luck with a new Irish board game, Dungeons and Naggins. Remember the last Irish board game that I came across was a thing called 30 Seconds. That's been around the world three or four times and had three or four additions to it. Let's hope we get the same success for Steve Bennett's Dungeons and Dragons. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Corks 96 FM. The minds are live. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Mind with PJ Coogan. Parts 96 FM. Where did you, um, did you have an egg for your breakfast this morning or will you have an egg at some stage today I have eggs for my breakfast every morning of the week maybe not Saturday but every other morning of the week I have eggs for my breakfast I'm very partial to an egg do you know how many eggs we ate in Ireland in the last 12 months or 12 months up to July I I speak because this is National Egg Day no I didn't know it either 
until I read about it this morning, but it is. This is National Egg Day. Uh, we're eating 16% more eggs than we used to, and up to, get this, right, sit down now if you're not sitting down, up to the end of July of 2023, we ate 619 million eggs. 619 million eggs. Now, there's only, what, 5 million of us? So that's like, what, 20... <laughs> that's, that's like, um... That's a lot of eggs, if you were to calculate that. 619 million eggs between 5 million of us over the last 12 months. Uh, eggs have never been more popular, they tell us, and it's World Egg Day. So there. Just thought I'd let you know that. Did you know that this morning? No, you didn't. Did you care? Possibly not. But there you go. 0818 96 96 96. Now, the budget is, is, is more or less done and dusted, and, and not a lot is going to change, if anything. Um, and one thing that will happen come the 1st of January is an increase in the minimum wage. It will go up to 12.70 an hour, which is quite a generous increase. It was flagged. It was flagged. I don't think anybody thought it would go as high as 12.70 an hour, at least not this time. They thought it might happen over a couple of budgets. But it's a big jump. It's a, a, an increase of 140 in the national minimum wage to 12.70. And while people who earn minimum wage or who advocate for those on low pay will tell you, look, it's nice, but it's not even enough because the living wage is closer now to €15 Euro an hour. There is some pushback from business. Not that they don't want to pay the minimum wage, but that it is going to put up the price of goods and services. And in particular, the restaurant sector is pushing back because they say it's going to push up the price of eating out. Uh, Dr. J.P. McMahon has been on the show before, asking us maybe to be a bit more rational in our thinking before we put our receipt from lunch in Spain up on social media. And I think you've been doing that again, JP. You're predicting that the increase in the minimum wage will inevitably put up the price of eating out. Good morning. Uh, good morning. Yeah, absolutely. And as you said there, I'm not uh, against um, increasing the minimum wage at all. And if it needs to go to 15, it needs to go to 15. But I think it's... Um, uh, what it what the, what raising the minimum wage does is it actually raises raises all wages, um, and I think a lot of people don't know that. When explain how that is the so, case. Well, if someone is on, say, for example, someone was on the minimum wage in in a restaurant, um, they were working there for a couple of months, and they're uh, have very little experience, and they're getting the minimum wage, and then all of a sudden they get a one forty rise from the government. Um, so the person who was on, say, thirteen euro an hour, now feels that the person who has no experience whatsoever is getting just nearly the same as them, and they'll say, "Well, well, I I deserve more money. I should, I want another euro an hour." And and on and on all the way up to the top, and if, if someone else says, "Well, I I want another euro," and he goes up to the head chef who says, "You know, what? everyone has another euro. I need another euro as well." And so, like, if you well, say, hold for on, example, JP, people, I get that yeah. logic, but isn't that the skill of a good manager to say, "Well, not today, thanks." 
Well, I mean, yes and no, but I suppose, it, and, and possibly this isn't happening in every industry, but I mean, the restaurant industry post-COVID is under a lot of pressure, not only due to wage inflation because there was less people um, in the industry because it was closed for um, for on and off for 18, 18 months and there are less people there. So um, some people will just go, well, I'll just go elsewhere and, um, and they'll pay me this. And I think that restaurants are... Uh, certainly restaurants I know in Dublin are actually overpaying people because they can't get the staff. And while that's great for the person, it's not great for the, the business. And like if you the, the kind of the, the average model for a restaurant is to have your wages about 30 percent of your overall turnover. And we're running at about 40 percent at the moment. And you can do that for a while. Uh, but once you hit 50, uh, then you're you're in trouble. And I think that I think Irish people, uh, and this is what annoys me about, I suppose, people posting receipts from Spain, which has a minimum wage of something about eight euro, or I think Portugal has a minimum wage of five euro. Um, and we see that as that the prop as the the real cost of food, and that's good value. And we seem to, I suppose, forget that labour in Ireland is a lot more expensive. And when we um, when we go into a restaurant and say, well, why are we paying this uh, this much for that? And you have to remember that forty percent of the price of your of your scone or of your coffee is going on the 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 person making it. And so if we keep advocating for better wages, which is fine. We need to understand that uh, with that comes more expensive produce. And in the supermarkets as well, I would imagine everyone stocking the shelves in a supermarket is uh, is is on minimum wage. And so if everyone in the supermarket gets an extra euro an hour, you can imagine it could only be 10 or 20 cent on a, mm-hmm. on a sliced pan. But we've already had massive increases because of the Ukraine and flour coming from there, you know? Sure. Okay. Now, the last time you and I spoke, we we, we rowed a little bit about you agreeing with 90 cents for a scoop of whipped cream on on an apple tart. We've had that that discussion and and we differed on the day, but you did ask me to do one thing, and that was think a little bit more about the posting of receipts on uh, social media. And it did. And I also spoke to my pal Paul Trevo in Killarney about the very same thing. Yes, I know Paul, yeah. But here's the thing. I, I was on holidays in uh, the Canary Islands and I sat down with a friend of mine who has run bars and restaurants out there for the last five or six years. He's a cork lad. And I put it to him about the wages. He said, look, PJ, he said, it isn't really the wages. There is a minimum wage here and it's not a bad one. We're very free and easy with tips. You can take your tips and keep your tips. He said, the big thing at home is not the wages. The big thing at home is VAT, insurance, other associated costs. So he said, when people are talking to you about the cost of doing business don't let them tackle the wage as a headline don't let them push back against the wages push back against the other costs of doing business and have the fight with the other people like the tax man the vat man yeah i mean yeah yes and no i mean we do and and like that's a good point because i mean you have to remember if the if the minimum wage is 1270 that um, a lot of people don't know this, that there's the employers are taxed on their employees. So employer PRSI is 10%. So for every employee we have, we get taxed 10% by the government. So that's an hour. So 1270 will turn into 1350. So the actual minimum wage is really 1350, but the government are taking 
uh, nearly a euro off that for themselves, which is like it's just a tax on employment. It's, pretty it's much. PRSI. It's PRSI. It's for a person's pension going forward. You know, no, 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 no. Employer PRSI, not the person's PRSI. Employer PRSI, which is employer PRSI, is a tax on employment, and it's a, it's a, it's a, it's very high in Italy, which is why the minimum wage is so low in Italy because the. But it's not a PRSI towards your pension. It's money for the government that people are taxed. Businesses are taxed for employing people because you're seen to kind of make money off that person. So the government want to cut in it. That's it's it's a uh, it's left over from the I suppose from the 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 English uh, running the mm. running the country. So so have your fight with the government on that. Y- yes and no. Like I mean the the the, the main out the main expenses for a business. Uh, like as I said to you, thirty percent is its wages. Third, then food and wine is about thirty percent, and then thirty percent is on your energy, your VAT, your uh, your rent. So it is one of the main things. And well, we like, also have ridiculously think, high excise duty on on now, wine is a huge part of any decent restaurant's fare, isn't it? We have oh, one hundred percent. We have some. But I don't, I don't hear too many restaurateurs pushing back. On the, the excise duty on, the, on wine, we, we we do it. We do we do all the time, and I think the last time they 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 put the excise up on wine and didn't put it up on beer because we have a beer industry and a, and a stout industry in Ireland, and they were afraid that they uh, would upset them. So I mean, wine is an easy target, and um, I think it is. I mean, the government take about forty. 40 odd percent of the price of a bottle of wine um and that's why it that's why it's so expensive in restaurants because if you're drinking a 30 euro bottle in a restaurant the government has taken 40 percent of that um and it then sounds like to me so to... you have a bigger, a bigger fight with the government than you have against the poor guy that you have to pay 12 something an hour to Oh yeah, but I'm not fighting against the person. I have to pay twelve euro an hour to. My my point is that I am asking people to be more conscientious about when they come across the the cost of things. It's it's not only because they think restaurants are making money uh, and overfought, which is which is a lot of time I encounter on on social media. I mean, the the margins in a restaurant are tiny. Um, they're about less than five percent. And I think if anyone wants to know who's making money, look at the where the banks are investing, and banks do not invest in restaurants um, they invest in property which has a could have a 20 or 30 percent return you know mm. so in your premises are price rises inevitable from the start of 2024 no, I'll see how things go. I mean, we had to put the menu up, I think, twice since COVID because of uh, energy. Our energy bill went like by fi- uh, went up by five times from about twenty five to a hundred grand. Um, it has come back down to sixty or seventy now, but it's still two or three times what we were paying. Um, the way uh, wages have already inflated, and I'm hoping that now we can, I suppose, deal with that. I mean, we don't have that many people on 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 minimum wage in the restaurant. I just, uh, I think. I don't think it'll happen next year, but over the course of the year, wages will go up inevitably because the minimum wage has gone up. And then you'll see that. Um, I always think it starts in the in the city, in the capital city because because that's the pressure zone in Dublin where you have massive rents. And you'll see that. I mean, we all have to price ourselves against Dublin. I mean, um, and that is why. Uh, why when, why when is Cop- that? Why why is that? Dublin is Dublin, but Dublin is not Ireland. 
No, Dublin's not Ireland, but it is. It, they, I suppose, they pay the the highest rent. So you, I could, you can't. I personally, I can't charge more than they charge in Dublin, no matter what I want to charge. I mean, it's the same in any any country in 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 Europe. I think in say in Spain, it's Madrid that dictates the price of of stuff. And um, if uh, if something is, if a coffee is four euro in Madrid, then you can't be in uh, Galicia and charge four fifty because that's just uh, I suppose the the way the market the way the market goes it's only something i've noticed mm. it's and it's the same in, in other capital cities in the in the in in the world but you will i think you'll see like coffee and i think steaks and different stuff kind of go up first because they're, they're they're where the pressure points are um where the the return is um is is uh is less is less on the um on the on the product, I mean, there's mm-hmm. very little margin in in stake in that. So I just think it's interesting to observe. And I think it was funny. I was trying to think back when I started cooking at 15. I was getting one pound fifty an hour, um, and I did. This was in in Minute, and I did forty hours a week. And I got sixty pounds, mm-hmm. and my rent was seventeen pounds a week. And I don't like rent is is a lot more now and the minimum wage has uh, has gone up so sometimes i think that using wages as a barometer for um uh for i suppose value or equality i think is not the right way to go i would have preferred to see the the government actually get rid of the universal social charge and that would have given people money back because i think that's been there long enough now as a temporary measure oh yeah that i well, think well, that i think i think you you and i both know jp and one thing on which we would agree is temporary was nonsense from day one they, they got it in they got away with it it's never going anywhere they might reduce it and they might take it away from some people but it ain't never going to be eliminated because you can't replace the money that's coming in but what what would be suggested I, I think is that when people post and again you did ask me to think and I did think uh, but when you when someone posts up a, a receipt from Spain or from wherever immediately the pushback is on ah yeah but how much are they getting paid over there maybe maybe if the sector and I speak to you all now maybe if the sector made more noise or more audible noise about the background cost and less noise about the wages. Yeah, I think so. I think, look, wages are always going to be an issue. They make or break a business. And if you haven't got your wages right, we we close Tartar, our cafe and wine bar. Yeah, yeah, the wages Ah, make or break a business. But and wages, obviously, 30% 30 of the business might be wages. Now you're finding it's nearly 40%. but, But also... I don't think, and this will be my challenge, I don't think that the industry has been loud enough or vocal enough or as loud and as vocal about insurance, about... I, I don't think you were half, you were half as in, 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 enlivened about the VAT going back up. Oh, I, I, I honestly think we were. Um, I just think there's like there is still. I actually thought they were going to bring it back down for the budget. I, I and I know it was an outside chance, but I think that I would worry about restaurants, particularly in rural areas, uh, over the next year. I would be very and bars. I'd be very, very worried about them. Mm. Uh, I think it say Galway, Cork, and Dublin. But, but, but would you, you accept JP? And you are you would be worried. And I know Paul in in, in Killarney would be worried, and others I've spoken to quietly who wouldn't take a call they would be concerned but i would 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 you accept from me that if if a, if a wage sorry if a restaurant closes in 2024 the wages are not the first thing to blame 
I no, I would say they're a contributing factor. They might be, uh, but it also I think if a restaurant closes in Dublin, it's down to rent. I think it's not. Uh, do you know what I mean? Uh, I think I think each each area of the country has a has different uh, different issues, um, and I think that um, you can certainly get better rent outside um, outside the outside the country mm. outside the, uh, the capital, but you mightn't have. Um, you might necessarily have the footfall, and the, the, these are the, I suppose, you, the challenges. You, I wonder but, if the rents were halved, would the prices come down? Well, I actually think well, the the, the rents, the the prices might necessarily half in those establishments. No, I didn't say come because, down. I didn't say half. I said come down. Yeah, come down. They they might necessarily come down at those establishments, but I I absolutely think that there is always the next generation of younger entrepreneurs who see, um, I suppose, a way of doing things. And if they can see the costs are coming down, uh, then they, and they think they can do it um, and still make money or still make a make um, make a business. I think that's what happens. And I suppose that's that's the the the, the good and the bad and the ugly of the, of the of the way the market runs. I mean, you can't you can't control it if the value of something falls, then you can only really uh, charge according to that value. You can't you can't charge more than the value uh, that is. Um, yeah. That is uh, that is that has been demanded, you know. All right, listen, JP, leave it there. Enjoyed our conversation. Thank you very much, JP McMahon, restaurateur Galway. Um, he was the man who, back earlier in the year, did two things. He justified, or tried to justify, at least ninety cents for a scoop of cream on apple tart. I didn't buy that one, but he did ask me to look a bit more into the costs and as to why prices are going up, and I did that, and I did that, and I would be inclined to accept that there's a lot more to the price of your steak and chips than just the wages being paid to the server. I do think that the restaurant business needs to get a bit louder and a bit more uh, vehement, shall we say, with the authorities than than pushing back on an increase in the minimum wage. Thanks, JP. 0818969696. And I will still put up my prices from Spain because of the cost of doing business. Cost of doing business, if they've got a problem with the cost of doing business, then that's what they need to campaign on. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, focus solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cork's 96 FM. Oldies and Irish on Cork's 96 FM is the big Sunday show on your radio. Big, big, big show, 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 radio. Turn it up and take it easy with the best music mix for your Sunday morning. Sunday morning. Welcome along to the programme. Lovely to be with you on a Sunday morning. Oldies and Irish with Derry O'Callaghan. Sundays, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. With Cork Simon. Anne wants to give everyone the home that Cork gave her. She's leaving a gift in her will to Cork Simon. Find out more at CorkSimon.ie. Cork's 96 FM. Hadn't really intended to go back to the budget this morning, but it's still with us. It's still there and people are still asking questions about what we got or didn't get on Tuesday. Let's go to the Penny Dinners and Katrina Toomey. You work, Katrina, every day of every week with the working poor of Cork. Was there anything for them on Tuesday? Good morning. No, and that's the word on the ground. And like people are saying that um, it's a budget, just like any other budget, but the root causes are not being looked at. For example, there people are saying that the cost of living 
should be looked at and that should be made afford. Cost of living should be affordable for everybody, mm. you know, for, in order for people to live. So we have a lot of people who are just at their wit's end, you know, we're coming into the Christmas season again. And again, that always brings its own hardship. Mm. So you have the budget, then you have Christmas, and you have people wondering what's going to happen in between with the, the weather, the winter here. You know, they're cold, they're damp, they're mm. wet, miserable. And, um, you know, that's, that's basically it. Mm. The, how many uh, of the people of that you see now, Katrina, uh, on a daily or weekly basis, mm-hmm. how many of those are people with jobs and what we might have oh. once classed as good jobs? Yeah, we have we have quite a lot of people, and people coming down, you know, and 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 just at their wits' end. They, you know, you hear some people saying they might have food for four days, they might have food for five days. They're running short of food for two days. They might be running short of food for three days. Do you know some people might not have food at all for the week? Mm. You know, and it's very hard. So we've a lot of demand now on our services, and um, again, the mental health that you know that that causes. That really distresses people an awful lot, and we see more and more distress. So I suppose we'd probably agree that the cost of living needs to be seriously looked at, mm-hmm. and it needs to be brought down to be made affordable for everyone. To how get how might that be done? Well, should look at the profits, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, and take it from there. I'm no expert in any of this, but when you hear people suffering on the ground, you know that there's something wrong someplace, and it has to be looked at. Well, well, it would be. You know, the, the working poor that you and I have spoke about, spoken about for yeah. years, would you agree with me, Katrina, there's something wrong in the society that a person with a good job, a good stable job, and maybe even a second job in the house, there's something very wrong in a society when they're coming to you for help? There is, and that is very hard for a person, you know, and, you know that are out there working, they've probably bought a home and now they're struggling, and the fear of losing that... All couples of raising families, keeping the jobs going, keeping trying to pay the bills, but trying to pay the mortgage as well. They're not getting a break nowhere. Mm. And this is what needs to be looked at. And it needs to be taken seriously. People shouldn't be suffering mm. at all. People that are out there working, you know, doing a good week's work, doing overtime, doing everything they can. And, you know, the, the people out there, you know, in, in very, very hard demanding jobs and they still can't make ends meet. So there is something wrong. In a, society with, full, in a society with full employment, you should be quiet down there instead of busy. We should be very quiet. We should be very quiet and it's getting worse. And the numbers are growing all the time. And look, they're growing everywhere. The hospitals are full. You know, I, I'm I'm just out of the Mercy Hospital after being a patient there, and I seen firsthand the stress that they're under, and they're they're just absolutely amazing, fantastic. The whole staff of the hospital in the Mercy with what they have to do, and again, like these are our frontline workers who hopefully have made me better, mm. and um, you know, pulled out all the stops like they do, you know, for everybody. And I, I'm just saying these are people that should never suffer. So when we're talking to people that are out there doing all these jobs, no matter what the job is, they're doing a job to try and live through life, to get through it and to be, you know, um, in their life. They yeah. need a few bob in their pocket. They need to be able to say, yeah. look, we go for a meal tonight. Yeah. We if, go you've, if, a, if you have a nurse or a teacher married to a guard, yeah. they shouldn't need to be coming into you. 
No, absolutely not, no. Absolutely not. Katrina, it's ten weeks to Christmas, sweetheart. How are things going for the concert? Well, we've kind of put the concert on ice until next year because we're just kind of not ready for it. But I was going to get back to you about that, but we need you for something else. So I'll message you in a minute and tell you about that. It'll be another one, but uh, not for the the orchestra yet. But look, next year, it's just going to take a little bit longer. And um, we, we we, we get... we get on top of it, like you know. I'm, we learn sure. to we sure. learn to play better. <laughs> I'm sure you look out. You look after yourself and mind that health of yours. It's precious, as are you, Katrina Toomey of Cork Penny Dinners. They were to have a concert this Christmas. It's going to put it back for a while. I was to host it for them. Um, we, there'll be something else. There's no doubt. And she's one of these people you don't say no to Katrina Toomey. And we at one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Let me go to Cathy because this was the message that came in, and I'm, I, I will I will put this question to, to Michal Martin when when I have him in front of me in about an hour's time. We'll talk budget to him and we'll talk Israel. I have a, a kind of a lighter chat too with him for a Friday. But Cathy, I, I was I read about this during the week. I'm not fully across what foster carers uh, are are upset about. There was an increase in the payment, but it's not for ages. That's about the size of it, yeah? Exactly, PJ. And look, the problem with that is, is that we're not entitled now to the first increase until January of 2024. How much are you getting? Oh, €25 extra. Okay. Per week, per child. And a week per child. And then in November, we'll receive the other 50. So 75 in total, which is, it is a valuable number. Don't get me wrong. But it's a little, you know, it's a little far-fetched to think, and we don't believe that we will receive that other 50. The budget will hit in October, and what may happen? Oh, oh, you, you know, oh there's a budget next year, and there'll be an election after that budget. You may be sure you'll get it. Yeah. But, but, but. You know, well, I hope so, but yeah. we don't believe that, because we have been pushed to the side constantly and constantly. How, how much and is the payment per week now, Katrina? So the payment Kathy? per week is 325 Okay. Um. You know, uh, I think it's 300 for under 12s and 325 for over 12s, if I'm correct. And it's been that way since 2014, if I'm correct. I think it was Uh, 2009. That was the last increase. Well, there was a small increase apparently in 2014. 2009, it got a decent increase. And then now I could be totally wrong on that. But I've only been a foster carer since 2017. You know, the problem is, is that I'm borrowing in order to make Christmas. I'm borrowing. I have four biological children, two full-term foster children, which are wonderful, and I wouldn't give it up for the world. To me, being a foster care is a, you know, it, it's not, it's something that's it, kind of in you. You know, you know you want to do it. Um, it you know, why it becomes, why did you want to do it, Kathy? To be quite honest, I was brought up by two Irish parents in America who worked very, very hard. Um, we had dysfunction, unfortunately, in our family. And if it wasn't for neighbors and friends, I do believe I would have been in a care system. So for me, it was giving back. Um, but also, I understand what these kids are going through. Yeah. So for me, it was huge to be able to do that. And my family was on board doing it. And I have to say, I give my kids a lot of credit because it's not an easy thing to take on when you're bringing extra children into your home and asking your children to conform, yeah. you know, to to – more people in the house and and um and the thing the ordeals that you have to go through as well yes um yes. you know and and look 
it's every foster care out there will tell you we do it because we love to do it. We love to be able to make a difference in a child's life. If, if out of 50 kids walk in my home, it only makes a difference to one. Then I've done my job. Yeah. You know, um, and we can't afford to do that. I have to go to work in order to secure a pension. That it to me is, is it's it's irate. It's disrespectful. You know, I am go, doing something. Go through that with me now again, because I know that the money that comes so in is for the is for the child. It's not a payment to you. Sure. So. No, it's not. It's a payment to, to take care of the child, but it doesn't cover the child. You know, um, I, you know, one of the lassies plays soccer. You know, she was away constantly last year. So it was hotel rooms. It was overnight stays. You know, in one month I had gone through over 600 euro mm. just for soccer. You know, that's half of my payment for the month. Um, you know, it's it, so we're not pensionable. So basically we don't get a state pension, but yet we're providing a service to the state. I well, understand on, the payments on, to the on. child. You don't get, uh, uh, maybe I'm, this is no. falling a bit clear now. So we know there are two types of, of, of pension, state pension. There's the yeah. contributory and the non-contributory. Yes. And, and yes. You, so we'd be entitled to a non-contributory. Okay, which is a few uh, considerably less than the, you believe that ca- yeah. that foster carers should be entitled to the contributory pension. Absolutely. Why shouldn't we? We're contributing to the state. That's a question. Am I right? That, you know what? I've I've never quite heard and it voiced that even, way before. It, yeah, it wasn't even brought up within the budget. Now there has been movements out there. There has been foster parents kind of reaching out and making organizations. You know, we're on social media. There's platforms on social media, and you know, everybody has a different scenario. For me, I'm I'm passionate about the pension. I would love to stay home and be able to do what I do day in and day out. I can't afford to. So I can't, I can't afford to, you know, I'm in my mid fifties right now. I have two children in college. I have one in Dublin. Her more, her rent is more than my mortgage. So your call to, to Michal Martin, if, if, or anyone would be, give us the increase now. Now. And now, also, absolutely. and also in terms of the pension that are you suggesting that once, once a person becomes a foster carer, that they are one automatically in the family. Right. Yes. One parent one parent staying home should automatically be entitled to a state pension. State so contributory should, pension. You know. Yes, exactly. As if they'd gone out and you worked know, and they, paid into it. Yeah. As if they well well we're we're working for you the are, state. No, 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 don't mean it to sound that way, Kathy, but you are yeah. Yes. No, no, I get I I you know what? This is that's yeah. a super argument. That's actually a su I can't I can't yeah. find an, I can't find a push against that argument. No, and I'd like somebody else, you know, to do that. Um Pascal Donahue called us the backbone. Well w- well where was the backbone? You know, we're crumbling. We don't have a skeleton to hold us up at this point. So you know, you, you're giving, and I don't mean to sound disrespectful in what I'm about to say, but social welfare has been increased year on, year out. Mm-hmm. And let's take the reality of that. You know, I can't come out and say it because I find it very disrespectful to people that I'm helping, kind of. But I'm going in a roundabout way saying there's people supported quicker for what we're doing for the state than we are. I understand you. I understand you. You choose your words well. Kathy. thank you very much. I will bring that up with, uh, with Michal Martin, uh, albeit briefly. He will say it's not his department. I, I know that's what will happen, but, but it's, there's a thing. So, so put it out there for, for people listening and maybe people who've been through the care system, adults who've been through the care system or anybody who's been a carer or is a carer. Kathy's point is there is an increase announced of €75. Euro but it won't be in place until the end of next year.
per child per week. But Cathy is also suggesting here that a person who stays home to be a foster parent would qualify for the contributory pension at the end of it. We know there are two types of pension. There's the non-contributory and the contributory. Contributory is more than the non, obviously. Once a person is approved as a foster carer, that they would be automatically entitled to a contributory pension. That's what she thinks they should be. I I can't argue with her, can you? Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Corks 96 FM. Here at Corks 96 FM, we're celebrating our five Imro Radio Awards. Imro Radio Awards. This is number one champion sound. PJ Coogan got gold for Speech Broadcaster of the Year, Local Regional. Simon Murdoch won gold for Radio DJ of the Year and Radiothon got gold for Community Social Action. We picked up silver for Music Station of the Year and bronze for Station Imaging. Thanks for listening. From your Imro award-winning station. Corks 96 FM. For now though, our focus is on rugby and I told you about this earlier on this morning. These, this, this is, there's a podcast called The Platform and Justin Marshall is a legend of New Zealand rugby. He played 81 times for the All Blacks. He scored 21 tries. Scrum half for the All Blacks. He was a teammate of the great Jonah Lomu back in the day. But Justin Marshall, some player, some player played into his into his late 30s. He's, he's 50 now. But Justin Marshall was speaking, he's a commentator for Sky Sports in New Zealand. And he was being asked uh, about Ireland versus the All Blacks on a platform or a, a podcast called the platform. Have a listen to this. This is an all-black legend. If you were to ask me at the start of the tournament, let's go back a month and say the team that you would prefer not to meet in the quarterfinal, I would have said Ireland. I would prefer France or South Africa. I think their DNA is is easier to break down um, the way that they play, uh, whereas Ireland just so well balanced. Their defence is amazing. They're the best defensive team in the world. Uh, their attack is really well balanced, all orchestrated by Johnny Sexton um, and their back row and their Ford pack formidable and they're just a really well drilled side and they're number one in the world for that very reason so look it's not to say that this is uh, an absolute disaster for the All Blacks but um, they're going to have we are going to have to be at our very very best best uh, to beat this Irish side because they have not missed a beat right from the opening game they've looked really good you know I've talked with you for a number of years now and I don't think I've ever ever heard you so impressed by another rugby side on the planet that's what Ireland have done to you no, and you're probably right. Um, I just I just feel that they just play a very good, um, really sensible style of rugby um, that has some flair. Uh, it equally has physicality. Um, you know, like Scotland went 18 phases against them, and, and and they just defended and defended, and then eventually forced them into an error. You know, that that's that's just knowing each other so well. And Andy, Andy Farrell hasn't messed around like the All Blacks right from that opening game. He's put all his big guns down, out there. He hasn't really changed his team much. I could have named their side that they get. I can name their side that they're going to name at the weekend. Um, they're just very well organised. Their game plan's good. They've got the best short passing game. So when I say short passing, like their players are nice and tight. Um, they bring defenders in. Then they have Sexton floating around the back. Arkey comes short. Ringrose comes short. You know, James Lowe floats around. They just know their method so well. And and each player knows each individual skill and strength of each other. Uh, and and you know you can't. Teams like that are they're the best in the world for a reason because they're just so methodical. 
you know, you're talking about them like we used to talk about our All Blacks side. I mean, with that kind of ruthless efficiency, it's their killer instinct as well. Do they have enough of that to be able to go right through this tournament from here? Oh, look, I don't have any doubts about that. Like the, you know, to, to be number two in the world before the Rugby World Cup started and then obviously, you know, eventually end up at number one. Um, all everybody was saying was they, they don't know how to get um, past any final series in the Rugby World Cup. They've never done it. Mentally, they're going to be weak. Um, so they were, people were throwing stones into their glass house even before the tournament started and saying that they won't be able to get through to a final and win a final. Like, where the hell does that come from? Like, his, history plays no part in a current team. A current team is what it is, and they're a formidable current team. I have no doubt in my mind that they've got the psyche, they've got the management, um, they've got the coaching, and they've got the players and individuals to go all the way to this Rugby World Cup final and win it. No, no doubt in my mind. They're very capable. That's a All Blacks superhero talking about us. And why am I still more nervous now than if we were playing flipping dolphin tomorrow night? The voice of the great Justin Marshall of 81 caps for the All Blacks and 24 tries. Wow! One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. On Ireland and the rugby and Ireland's call, yes, we have... We've got a UN resolution. Um, we can give you a little lash of Ireland's call before we finish out at 12. Mary is in Glenmarsh. says about like a cat on hot coals thinking about the rugby match tomorrow. I'm sick to me stomach. I really hope Ken is on the ball about it. Listen to Ken Parrott earlier on. I love Ireland's call and I hate all the people who say negative things about it. Come on, Ireland, says Mary uh, from Glenmire. Um, Ken has been speaking to rugby fans at the airport. Uh, I'll, I'll get that in after the news. I won't have time for it now, guys, but he's been up meeting the fans this morning, getting the general feel of the buzz as they head out on three plane loads heading out to Charles de Gaulle Airport. And tomorrow night, that stadium will be half full, if not more than half full, of Irish people. And I had a, a lovely email. Um, I know Donald Lenehan for... For many years, he was my brother's boss at one time. And uh, I met him in here a couple of months ago. He was doing some voiceover work. But um, I sent him an email last night uh, to know, like, can we dare to dream? 
Um, Donal, unfortunately, isn't in, in a position to speak to me on the show because of various contracts that he has. And that's fine. That's fully understood. Um, he's commentating for RT and he's writing for, for the examiner. And that, that contractually limits him from being on the show. But I sent him an email uh, to get his view. And he said, hi, PJ, hope all is well with you. Incredible atmosphere over here. It's like the Jack Charlton era all over again. Unfortunately, I can't go on the show. You know the drill. But, he said, yes, we can dare to dream. We can dare to dream. That's the words of the great uh, Donald Lenehan. I'm almost too excited to breathe. Um, can we play Ireland's call for the boys and girls in St. Anthony's and Eglantine School? It's Jersey Day today. It's St. Anthony's and the Eglantine. They're all so excited. We'll get a bit of it out before the end of the show. I promise you that. I promise you that. We all want, uh, the only we're going to try and do as well is get a score prediction out of Michal Martin. I wonder, will he give us a score prediction? It's been a very, very busy morning up at the airport. Emma was on about board games. <laughs> Wonderful new board game, Dungeons and Naggins. PJ, we love board games in our house. It reminds me of Christmas, sitting around the fire, eating chocolates, drinking Baileys and fighting over, <laughs> over trivial pursuit. Yeah, Emma, I'd be more now, if we were to do board games in my house, it would be Monopoly. It would be Monopoly. And um, there is much bad language uh, when Monopoly is being played in our house. Yes, see what I mean? 0818 96 96 96. In the next hour, we will hear from the fans at the airport um, as they head out to to the match. We'll... Ah! I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't contain myself, really, this stage. Um, and it's not so much that this is like anything... It's not a final... Like there's two more, there's two more matches after this. Should we win this? There's two more a- matches after this before you can call yourself champions. But I sometimes get this notion: if we can get through this flipping hoodoo of having been in seven, seven quarterfinals and lost all seven of them, if we can put that monkey off our back tomorrow night, who knows what Erling can do? My lads, join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cork's 96 FM. The lines are live. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Cork's 96 FM. Yeah, if you're looking for somewhere to go tomorrow night to watch the match, well, Cork's 96 FM teaming up once again with the fabulous Marina Market uh, hosting our World Cup Fan Zone. We've been doing it for all of the fixtures throughout the group, but now we're there for the quarterfinal. Kick-off against the All Blacks at 8 o'clock. Be there. Free Rugby World Cup Fan Zone at the Marina Market Centre Park Road with Cork's 96 FM. Uh, you can bring your couple of beers if you want to. Bring a few cans. Just don't go overboard. And I think the food, an awful lot of the food stalls are open, so Come along and have an absolute ball. Huge screen, huge sound, huge atmosphere. Oh, we're so, so, uh, so hopeful for a huge result. Uh, Ken Parrott, I was talking to him, he's at the airport. He was at the airport for the morning. There's three plane loads of rugby fans 
heading off uh, to Paris. And, uh, and um, he's, he's up there now as well. Hey, Ken. If you're a rugby fan, I suppose you can really say it's like Christmas Eve. I'm in the bar in Cork Airport. We've come through the check-in and I just met six fans from Highfield. You're off to Paris. I am beyond jealous. This is going to be unreal, isn't it? Oh, we can't wait. We were here two weeks ago. We've been to the South African game, the Scotland game. and um, Did you just say that because I said I was jealous? Yeah, yeah, tried to rub it in. Been rubbing it in all the friends all week. Uh, no, we can't wait to get out there. Like, the atmosphere at the stadium compared to any other game. Yeah. Even the, the pundits and the, the players are saying that Johnny Sexton said it in his post-match interview the other day that the atmosphere in the first game was amazing. He didn't think it could be topped and the atmosphere in the second game was even better. What do you think this will be like? Oh, like we were in the match in Japan last week for the World Finals, and obviously it would be further travel, but like they're going to take like, Paris instead. It'll be like a home game. Yeah, hopefully. What's the crack like around Paris before the game? Unbelievable. Around the stadium, get out there early. Um, for all the Irish fans, I couldn't get over the, the number of them at the last two games. Uh, it's just incredible. I'd say the match would be even better. Am I right that the girls aren't going to talk? <laughs> <laughs> Let me put you on the spot. How do you think we're going to do? Yeah? yeah? Positive thoughts. Did, did you see the Guinness ads where it said, you know, think it but don't jinx it? Yeah. So good. How do you feel about Matt Hansen, Matt Hansen starting? Are we nervous? Um, a little bit. Um, I wonder will he get the whole 80, but they have Jimmy O'Brien on the bench just in case. Um, but hopefully do you not think Jimmy O'Brien's a big step down if you need that? If you need that, he doesn't have the expertise. He might have it for Leinster in the, the URC, but against the All Blacks in the quarterfinal of the World Cup, he's really untested. Uh, he is, but uh, he's a bit more versatile than Stuart McCluskey, so having him there, he can cover more positions and give us more options to push. I know. Um, Skyrunner's on the wing and put Jimmy O'Brien at 15 and kind of move things around. Um, so, yeah. Jim O'Brien's a bit of a step down, but uh, I'm sure the lads are confident even for those guys. Right, one question, right, for the six of you here, I want to I want to quickly do this, if, you, if you'll humour me. I'm going to give a possibility of an alternative Ireland best 15 and the 15 that are starting. And I want you to pick who's better, the team we have started or the previous. So let's begin at fullback. Rob Carney or Hugo Keenan? Who do we think is better? Hugo Keenan. Yeah. Hugo, 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 Hugo. Yeah. Go Hugo. Anyone for Rob, no? Right, let's go to the wingers. I was thinking... Tommy Ball and Andrew Trimble, maybe? Who have we got? James Lowe and Mike Hansen. I'd go James Lowe and Mike Hansen, to be honest. Yeah, I would too. Yeah, I probably would. Playing together. Yeah. Right, centre partnership. Darcy and O'Driscoll, Aki and Ringrose. Darcy and O'Driscoll. Can we get O'Driscoll and Aki? <laughs> yes, please. What do you think over here? Yeah, I think, I think you'd have to put in Driscoll in, but Aki is far at the moment, so couldn't leave him out. Halfbacks. Stringer, O'Gara, Gibson Park, and Sexton. Gibson Park, Gibson Park, Sexton. We're in Cork, lads. Come I know, uh, that, that's what he's answering that question, just Munster loyalty, but I think Gibson Park, Sexton. Front row, I'm going to say Keen Healy, although he might make it yet, right? Keen Healy are... Um, Archie Porter? Yeah. Um... Keen Healy in his prime, by the way. I'd say Porter as well, yeah. yeah. I think Porter's one of the best we've ever had, ever. Um, Hooker, there's Keith Wood, Roy Best, yeah. Keith Wood, R, Sheehan. Keith Wood, Dan Sheehan. What do you think over here? Keith Wood as well, all right. Uh, number three, I was going to go John Hayes. Furlong, 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 yeah. Yeah. O'Connell, O'Callaghan, 
Henderson and Ty Byrne. What are we thinking? You said I'll come to Ty Byrne. Yeah, I'll come to Ty Byrne for me as well. O'Callaghan, do you think? You want to go Callan? I go for O'Connell or Callan. O'Connell will pull him through. Number six, I don't think there's any comparison. There's nobody can ever raise a glass to Peter O'Mahony. Do we agree there? Yeah, we broke Peter O'Mahony. Yeah? Number seven, Josh van der Fleer. David Wallace. David Wallace, yeah. And number eight, there's a couple for number eight. Anthony Foley obviously sticks out, CJ Stander. Can't go Jamie Heaslip anyway. So. Kaelin Norris not doing too badly, no, let's, yeah. let's leave Heaslip alone. Yeah, I go Kaelin Norris. Kaelin Norris? Uh, Kaelin Norris? Yeah, yeah. Alright, one last question, who's going to win? Come on. Ireland. Ireland. Bye. More than five. More than five. I'm going to go with my eight. Okay. Ireland? Ireland by 12. Guys, enjoy the game. Cheers. Sing your hearts out. We'll see you later. Thanks. Oh, Ken, thank you for that. Thank you. That is the kind of rugby banter that makes it so great uh, watching big matches and, and supporting big teams and uh, trying to figure out who'd have been better from the legends of old. I, I, on the number eight, yeah, it would be for me between between Axel, God be good to him, and CJ. Axel versus CJ for me, it would be at number eight. But but there you go. We have what we have and they're brilliant and they've been awesome and they've been stunning. And we just keep the fingers crossed, will we? We will. 0818 96 96. 96. Um, yes, this is a story we had intended to do earlier in the week. It was a big showbiz story. Holly Willoughby, um, a man has been arrested and questioned with regards to a possible kidnap plot against Holly Willoughby. And she wasn't on the morning show um, the day that happened. And then she announced a couple of days ago she's not going back to the morning show they get this this morning she is quitting after 14 years and says after 14 years I have left this was on Instagram I've left ITV know today that after 14 years I will not be returning to this morning um, I feel I have to make this decision for me and my family of course it comes just months after Philip Schofield uh, left uh, under something of a cloud. Uh, Izzy Showbizzy joins me. Izzy, biggest showbiz story of the week of the of the of the year. But some people saying this ain't the real reason. There's something else going on. Morning. Yeah, morning. How are you keeping? Good. Yeah, I mean, there is a little bit, just as you said, there like a cloud about Philip Schofield leaving, and a lot of people thinking. Did she want to leave before this whole kidnap plot happened? And I suppose I have to agree with that. Like, I imagine that she just said, this is the last straw for me. I can't be involved with the show anymore. It's gone too far. But like herself and Philip Schofield, they were best friends. I mean, they were working together for 14 years. I have checked their Instagram pages. She is still following him. He is not following her. Um, so there's there's a lot that's going on behind the scenes, I would say. Mm, like... We were saying during the summer, weren't we, that she couldn't possibly not have known about this relationship that he, even though she says she didn't. Yes, like I do think there has to be some truth in that. I mean, have you watched this this program on Apple TV called This Morning? Yes, it's, it's not the same. You know, I don't want to say that it's the same thing that's gone on here because they're they're t two completely different storylines, okay? But I, I do think that if she was that close to him, 
she would have to know what was going on. And of course, famously, he came out on the show with her support. Um, And she had known about that for some time as well. So you have to think, okay, if they're that close, if they have this friendship on screen, off screen, you know, she must know about his love life. You know, you'd have to be kind of naive to think that she didn't. But at the same time, obviously, Philip Schofield was quite good at keeping secrets. Um, So there's a level of that as well. But I think after 14 years of them working together and and you have to remember as well, like this whole change of Philip Schofield and Holly Willoughby happened because of the Queen's funeral. Yeah. You know, they they jumped the queue, whether they did or they didn't. You know, it depends whose side you're on. That's what the downfall, the downfall of this morning and their presenters happened at that moment. Like it was never the same after that. I w- and there I, was I was watching when that happened, Izzy, and I was listening to the discussion on it. And I thought it would be very logical for the presenters of a huge show to get a little bit, get in a little bit deeper into the crowd if they were working. But they didn't seem to be working. I know. So that was the kind of grey area there. They came out and said, look, we were working. We were officially working for ITV on on some sort of, I don't know what they were doing, to be honest. I mean, they weren't going to show the Queen's funeral on this morning. So it, it was a bit of a, mm. a strange situation. Um, but yeah, so the crowd just went completely against them. And, and remember now, these guys, again, working together for 14 years, you know, massive winners at the National Television Awards every year. You know, their bloopers are legendary. These right. were, you know, the, the it TV couple, you know, of the last, we'll say again, 14 years. So again, the, the turn was so big for them. And I think with Holly and everything else that happened with the downfall of Philip, I would like to think that she thought... Right, maybe it's time to get out. Now, I was reading yesterday that, now, this could be a vicious rumour, but maybe she might go to BBC. There's chats about her and Philip Schofield going to BBC. But I don't know if someone would take him on again just because of what happened to him this year, you know? Mm -hmm. She has other television stuff as well. Doesn't she do one of them dancing shows? Yeah, she does Dancing on Ice. um, So... I would imagine she'll probably still keep that if she can. Um, Because, you know, there was no downfall here in the sense that, like, you know, even whatever day she handed in her notice or, you know, put out a public statement about it, they did a huge tribute to her on the show the next day and what was really, really lovely. So she's left really on good terms here. So she should still keep the rest of her ITV contracts. Mm. Um, And I will do okay. Like, she's had a fantastic career anyway. Like, I remember watching her on the extra factor years ago and just thinking that she was a fantastic broadcaster, you know, because she's full of energy and she's really, really bubbly. And and I suppose you you could be very cynical, Izzy, and say that neither of them ever need to work again. It's not like they're going to be down at a food bank, either of them, do you know? No. And also, if you look at Holly's husband, his name is Daniel, um, and I'm pretty sure he was actually working on this morning at some stage. I don't know if he still is, but he's massively involved with television. He's a fantastic producer. I'm pretty sure he's the guy behind bringing back gladiators. Um, you know, so she's in the business already. I mean, she can just turn around to the hubby and go, hey, any chance you could uh, give me a presenting role? And he'd be like, no problem. <laughs> so it is not really, you know, I don't I think she'll be OK. All right. Okay. Big story of the week. We wanted to get to it before the end of the week. Izzy Show Busy back on Cork's 96 FM for the big drive home at four o'clock today. Cheers, Izzy. 0818 96 96 96. We'll see where she turns up next. I mean, Holly, not Izzy. We know where Izzy is. Four o'clock. Will we ever see Philip Schofield on the telly again? That 
is the question. And will he bring out a book? That is another question. On the carers or the foster carers, Mary has responded to Cathy, who was on with me earlier about foster carers, and she was making the point that if someone gives up their job and stays at home to be a foster carer, then they should be entitled to the contributory pension when pension time comes round. And I haven't heard that said before, and I can't argue against it because of the work that foster carers do for troubled kids and kids coming from difficult backgrounds. I can't disagree with Cathy. But Mary does. She said foster carers don't get a contributory pension because they don't contribute to that pension. The income they get is not taxed. There's plenty of people with two children doing minimum wage jobs that aren't earning what the foster carer earns for the two children that they look after. Many parents on minimum wage have to pay for childcare too. I have huge admiration for foster parents, but please don't suggest they're not paid a reasonable amount when compared to supports for working parents. And that's from Mary making the other side of the argument. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Quartz 96 FM. Cork loves the arts. We do too. That's why we bring you the Arts House. Every Sunday on Cork's 96 FM. Hi, it's Elmarie. Join myself and Connor every Sunday morning to find out what's happening in the arts all over Cork. There's so much happening. Fantastic festivals with great events for all ages. And we'll tell you all about them. The Arts House. Sunday mornings, 8 to 10. With Griffin's Potatoes. For fantastic quality and great taste guaranteed. Choose Griffin's Potatoes. Herpings and Roosters. Corks 96 FM. So the Cove Connects bus is a popular service and it's driven by a very popular man called Tony. And he certainly added to his, his popularity stakes during the week when the bus broke down and he was waiting for a replacement vehicle. Of course, he had a bus full of people. So what does he do? He gets out of the bus, he goes across to Spar and he buys two big boxes of chocolates and he starts doling them out among the passengers while they're waiting for the next bus to come. What a lovely thing to do. And one of the uh, customers, a lady called Georgina, went onto the Cove Edition Facebook page and told the story. But Kira, tell me a little bit about Tony. He's just a nice guy. Kira's the office admin at Cove Connects. Good morning. Hi, PJ. How are you? Great. Um, yeah, Tony, so to be honest, I wasn't surprised when I seen the post. Um, it's just Tony, really. He's a, he's a gentleman, and every day he would have done things like that before. Um, so we weren't surprised to see it at all um, on Facebook. Um, yeah, he's, he's just a really genuine, nice guy. Tell me about him. Where's he from? Because he's not an Irish lad, is he? No, he's Croatian. He's right. Croatian himself, yeah. So he's just over here working. Um, he's our core Cove Connect driver, one of right. them, um, on the, the Cove to Cork service. Mm. So, yeah, he's he's really nice. He used to drive our... Um, he used to be on a different route for, in the mornings, our 211 service. Mm. Um, and it was mainly school kids. And he finished up in June and he got inundated with cards and gifts and everything. They, they were just mad about him. Isn't that great? Nice, yeah. nice colleague as well, I believe. Oh, he's fantastic. He's lovely. He's an everyday, hello, good morning, big smile on his face. 
Mm. Yeah, he's Sounds great. Sounds like a fellow would never forget a birthday in the office or anything like that. He'd... No, we've often got flowers and chocolates oh, here as well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's fantastic. We the service is flying for you, Kira. Oh, it's fantastic. It's brilliant, yeah. It's going from strength to strength now, to be fair. What time is the first one in the morning? 6.15, so wow. we're on the go, yeah, fine, bright and early. Yeah, would Tony be on that one in the mornings, he would? He starts around lunchtime, so he does more of the later services. Okay, I heard Yeah, that. so... He's um, bringing everyone home. <laughs> well, well, whatever little kindnesses he was doing up to now, he's after making the media for this one. Yeah, yeah. He's Well, he's very modest. I was explaining to him yesterday um, about the radio. Mm. And his English wouldn't be great, so he was saying, no, no, I wouldn't come on. But um, he said to make sure to tell you that it's not just him, that it's all his colleagues that are fantastic and he loves his job and the people of Cove are great. He said to make sure he says that. He didn't want to limelight himself. He's still being nice. Oh, he's lovely. Yeah, yeah. All right. OK. Well, our best to everyone at, at Cove Connection and the fabulous service you provide to Tony, the driver and the other drivers. How many other drivers have you got? On Cove, between the core drivers and the reliefs, um, I'd say we'd have about 15 to 20. Wow. Yeah, yeah. It's a very, very... um very popular service. Busy and successful and popular service. Thanks. That's Kira Morrison. She's the office admin at Cove Connects. And just a little word about Tony, the driver. What a lovely thing to do. He jumps into Spar and he bought two boxes of chocolates to pass the time while they were waiting for a new bus. Nice fella. 0818 96 96 96. Right, we're going back to the airport where once again um, Ken Perrot has been talking to some rugby fans boarding the flights to get to Paris for tomorrow night's quarterfinal. I'm going to start with this man here because he's wearing an all-blacks hoodie and an all-blacks hat. There's a fellow down there in the Leinster jersey. He's, he's equally as brave. How are you doing? Yeah. What's your name? Oh, well, um, my name's Jesse. And where are you from? Uh, originally from New Zealand, yep. And you're off to, far- off to Paris? Off to Paris. Watch, uh, we've got the two quarterfinals, uh, New Zealand, Ireland, South Africa, France. Wow. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Can't wow. wait. How do you think Ireland are going to do? Uh, honestly, I'm, I'm glad this probably doesn't air in New Zealand, but I think Ireland uh, are set to win it, to be oh, fair. Great. I think they've got the better team. Um, you know, as long as they can overcome the psychological history uh, of not clearing the quarters historically, I think they're, uh, they're a shoo I'd love to see your, your, your Instagram timeline, because mine is all the, the, the Ireland-focused media. What's the New Zealand media saying about the, the threat that the Irish can bring? Oh, yeah, it's, it's certainly the narrative coming out of New Zealand is it's a coin toss. You know, it'll come down to a couple of key moments and who can get their game on early and, and, and you know, who can get there first. Let's talk to the Ireland fan. What do you think? Uh, I think it's going to be a really tough game. If Ireland can subsume the pressure like they did in South Africa, I think we have a great shot of beating the Yeah. But nobody's going to say it's going to be an easy game. You know, there's a lot of respect between both teams here. They've all said that players 1-23 to, one to 23 need to bring 100% to this, but who needs to have the game of their life? Uh, the Irish fans need to have the game of their life and push the Ireland team on when they need it, because I think we're going to be outnumbering the Kiwi fans in the stadium. I think that might be the deciding factor. Beautiful stuff. Just yes. in case. Super. Oh, oh yeah, that's... The... <laughs> <laughs> Great banter up at the, at the airport, and won't it be... F- and we've discussed the song, and everybody knows where I stand, but where I'm... I'm Going to be out tomorrow night with a bunch of lads watching the game, and the win, if it should be, if it should come, that would be amazing. But what about the lash of zombie afterwards? The whole country will shake with people singing zombie after the match tomorrow night. 
That's a moment I can't wait for. I'm nervous. I'm nervous. Brian McCarthy at Cork Group Top Farm. Are you nervous, not just about this, but about opening the shop? Good morning. <laughs> not excited now, but I'm, I'm definitely nervous about tomorrow night. But, um, yeah, no, we're, we're delighted to be op- opening and... Um, you know, it's 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 a huge step for us, and it's a very exciting. And for people who've missed uh, it, you're taking over the Tim O'Sullivan meat stall in the, the English market. Now, when yeah. you started this out as a lockdown project, Brian, the Cork rooftop yeah. farm, did you ever think you'd be selling your wares in the English market? No, no. This is this is way beyond my wildest dreams in terms of it was it was such. Um, it was a pastime, really, for for lockdown to 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 occupy all the spare time that you know we had, and now it's just it's gone from one thing to another, and we find ourselves now, you know, selling veg in the English market, and it's 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 incredible. We're, we're I'm chuffed and delighted to be uh, to be a part of a place that has such history and heritage, and you know, probably the the single, you know, the heartbeat of the, of the city, really, you know. Um, Remind people again how it all began. So, yeah, I, I guess at the start of, of COVID, I had to temporarily close down my, my fresh lower business, um, which has reopened. And but like everyone, we, we were restricted in our movements and how far we could go. I had no access to a garden, but I had access to a rooftop and started growing veg on the rooftop and documenting it through social media and it, it, it got a bit of attention and, you know, I, I really, I'd no background in growing veg um, and really it was a st- steep learning curve, but I, I, I fell in love with it and mm-hmm. decided this is something I wanted to do uh, in a full-time capacity. So it turned it kind of decided we wanted to make a business out of it and that's what we've been doing for the last three and a half years and now there's, you know, seven people full-time employed by the rooftop farm and you know big plans ahead as well as this 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 huge new chapter for us as well in, in the english market it's it's mm. so it's, you'll, you'll be staying down busy. the coke i take it will you yeah absolutely absolutely i think you know we've 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 developed and created that that's that's where the rooftop farm is are they your pumpkins they are wow they are. We yeah uh, we we've we've been growing them in uh, our market garden out at Glenbrook there near near White's Cross. Yeah. Um, they've been in the ground now since since May, and um, they are there. They're they're they've pried a place out the front there now. So um, I was passing the other but, night driving oh, past. Oh, they're huge things. They're fabulous. They are. Uh, the one thing about having a very wet summer, I suppose, is that it has benefited. Uh, crops like that so it's um, no there's a great great crop of them this year and people people are kind of taken aback when they pick them up and they kind of go oh, crikey what do I do with this and, but, and uh, for, for a fella whose background is, is in computers yeah you must pinch yourself Brian oh yeah I mean I think I, I did computer science and I came out of it I didn't I didn't go into it I suppose I went into the family business which is flowers but I knew fairly quickly that I, you know, while I would have spent all my college years behind the computer, I was happiest if I was out and about or in the fresh air and certainly out and about doing the growing food is, it's, uh, you know, I just fell in love with it and it's, it's, it's great to be able to, to, to do something you love, you know. Well, it's, 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 it's the continued success to the Cork rooftop farm opening 
at the English market in the old Tim O'Sullivan meat stall. Oh, maybe opening in, in the next few days or at least within the next week or so. That's Brian McCarthy. Well done, uh, Brian, and uh, continued success with all that you do with the Cork Rooftop Farm. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cork's 96 now we're a couple of days down the road from the budget and the dust is settling. The Sunday papers are probably gearing up to have another look at and pick apart a few other angles of it. But I'm happy to welcome Tonish, Minister of Foreign Affairs and indeed former Taoiseach Michal Martin to studio. A uh, few things to chat, Michal, as we, as we uh, wrap up the week. Uh, good morning to you. Good morning to you and congratulations you. on your recent award. You're very kind. to see it. Very kind, very kind. Michal, we're three of couple of days after, after the budget now, and the first thing we seem to get in here anyway was people in the middle-income bracket who say, what on earth was in this for me? And then we had carers. I'll come to the carers in a second, foster carers. But with regard to middle-income families, the so-called squeezed middle, are you happy with what you signed off on well, for them? The tax relief will, will help significantly for those in the middle, uh, in addition to the universal payments of €450 Euros in terms of the energy credit, in terms of the double child benefit uh, payment uh, before the end of the year. Um, so all of that uh, will help, uh, plus the free school books for junior certificate now on top of the free books for primary last year. Um, these will all help middle-income um, people. Mm. Um, in, and then in, in addition to that, uh, you have the, a pay round is coming in terms of both public service pay. Um, and then pay in general has been rising. Mm. The ESRI are it's saying not, today... Not, not to keep up with inflation, though. It's not keeping up with inflation. The ESRI are saying that the, the measures we've taken, both the once-off measures, mm. which about 2.3 billion, and then the 5 billion of core, core measures and tax relief, will cushion people and will shield people from the um, in, in cost of living They're increases. saying about... I read that this morning. They're yeah. saying that overall, take everything into account, it's about a 2% pay raise for people. Yes. That's yeah. not huge, Michal. Well, it's only on the budget. People yeah. will have, I mean, those working, for example, um, the pay has increased. Mm. Uh, the minimum wage is going up by 140 uh, to 1270. Yeah. Uh, it's on course now to get to, get to the living yeah. wage within two years. I'm not long off the um, phone from Katrina Toomey, and, and she said to me that at a time of full employment, she'd expect to be quiet. In fact, she's busier than ever full of working people going to depend on dinners. Something wrong there. Oh, well, I'd like to check that and, and I'd, I'll talk you to you about that. No, I, well, I, I just feel that uh, we aren't, people aren't a lot of pressure but as to the analysis as to working people, you say, because we've also given additionality in terms of um, uh, support for working family parents, particularly in, 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 the, in the dependent allowance mm. and so on. And we've increased tax um, and social welfare uh, payments for particularly families with children. Mm. So I mean, it's interesting. It would be interesting from an analysis point of view as to who's using the centre mm. ob- ob- anonym- anonymously. You know, well, no, yeah, but, she, but she's saying it's, so that, it's people so that can with, feed into policy because we do have yeah. interventions that we can make and do make. Yeah, it's saying she's saying it, it's it's people with jobs, but when it comes towards maybe I mean, a day or two towards payday, they're coming yeah. down to her for a. If you're a married couple now with two children, um, you, your take home, take home pay will increase by 1850 um, mm. um, this year. Um, a pensioner living alone uh, with state and private pensions of around 45,000 will, will inc- get an income increase of about 1,000 a year. Mm. Someone on the minimum wage will get about 2,300 um, a year in terms of take home pay increase. Mm. And then you've all the 
other measures in yeah. terms of the once off and so on. Like I know that, the USC so. and there was some adjustment made to it. And the it. cost of childcare is coming down significantly. Yeah. I mean, another 25%. Well, in a, in a year's time. Well, in, yeah, yeah, but in November, yeah. but it'll be a permanent yeah. 50% reduction in two budgets. Like, that hasn't happened in a decade. So yeah. that, that level of, of reduction the, in the fees provi- The providers child. say that they can't possibly make a profit, though. Some of the providers have, have said that. Others are, are like, there's a, a huge numbers have have signed up for the, for the core payments. We will look at some of the, the areas, and I've talked to Roderick O'Gorman about this in respect to some of the providers, mm. who, maybe the smaller providers who are finding the core payments system more difficult. But in addition to reducing by 50%, we've also did a good deal with last year with the unions in respect of paying conditions yeah. for childcare workers and to create a career pathway for childcare okay. workers into the future. Because okay. it is a key area of pressure for many, many families. Yeah, I, I mentioned uh, another issue that's come up, uh, um, that's foster carers. And their payment is being increased by €75 Euro per child per week, but it's it's not until late next year that they will get the well, second tranche of yeah. that but, but they, they, yeah I think they get 25 per week yeah. um, increase by January of, of coming right uh, and then um, they'll get a further um, 75 euros um, by the, sorry um, that revised vote 400 for under 12 mm. by the end of the year and um, by the end of 2024, sorry, and then yeah. 425 for those over 12. And the reason for that, by the way, foster care is generally in terms of all the payments will be 700 euro uh, additional funding in 2024 itself. Yeah. Uh, that's taken some of the once-offs and so we, on. We, the reason being, uh, and they get the double payment as well by the end of 2023, in, 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 uh, but the, the reason being, this is a big increase, the first, I think, in, in, in nearly a decade. Um, and... He wants it into the base for future for foster carers. So you have two choices. Everybody has to live within the 6.1%. So every minister is trying to work out, yeah. in terms of the resources they get, how can I... But some of the money that's going into the long-term kitty, the, the, the new fund, which is welcome. Everyone's welcoming the new fund. But some of the money going into that could have gone to make these payments immediately, could it But not? you see, no, because the, 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 so the money going into the once-off fund is revenue that we won't be getting all of the time. It's mm. once-off revenue. But you got it now. Yeah, but you see, the problem is what, what Roderick is doing is making sure that the €100 euro increase in cares will be there forever, that it won't be once off. That's 25 goes in in, in in the beginning of the year and the other 75 at the end of the year. And that's into the, the payment forever more then. You know what I mean? That's the new base, if, if you get right. me. And I, these I, are I think people are confused as to how you could give it in six to eight months and because, you couldn't give it Because now. basically he, he hasn't resources within the full year to allocate it. Okay. He'd, he'd have to cut elsewhere across the budget. Oh, okay. In okay. other words, you'd be paying, there'll be a higher cost for this in 2025. What, 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 the, what, what are the chances of, of people who, st- and Cathy rang this morning with this specific query, what are the chances that someone who stays home as a foster carer, serving the state as a foster carer, might be entitled to a contributory rather than a non-contributory pension down the line? Uh, th- that's a big, uh, it sort of has, has wider I- impacts in terms of pensions more generally, but we, we are examining all of that okay. and the prospects of that. We're not saying no to those. Yeah, issues. I, um, I'd never heard it said before. It just sounded like something. It's a, it's yeah. a bounce. It has been raised with us okay. from the carers' perspective. Yeah. Okay, we we'll leave the budget behind. It is what it, it is. What it is. People. I just want to pay a tribute to Michael McGrath uh, in terms of what he's done. I think those long-term funds, that that, that mm. long-term, what we're trying to do is to make sure that people will get their pensions in ten years' time, mm. because like the number of people, the, the, we're aging very fast now as a population. Mm. We're living longer. Yeah. That people will, will, that will have enough money for health and social welfare and pensions. Yeah. And then also, that if say, there was an economic downturn, the, the other fund then is to make sure that the bridges get done, yeah, the roads yeah, get done, yeah. the light rail gets done in Cork and, 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 and the buses and, get bought. And, 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 and the, the, the event centre might get built.
Yes. Um, and Doherty said this morning she thinks she'll be sitting in the front row in three years' time. I got a comment here saying that's more like 33 years. Well, Are I'm we going to get the thing? Well, I'm not going to talk about where I'll be sitting in three years' time in terms of the, the convention centre. But mm. what I will say is this. We're down to the end game here. The detailed design has happened now. Uh, so that was a real sign of evidence from the promoters that there was action. But yes, the costs are going up. We've asked the, Cork, 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 the City Council to do a verification of due diligence. It means more increased mm. ask. And we've got to work with the developers to see how we deal with the increase. The government has already committed 57 uh, million uh, to this. A lot more than uh, originally a thought. Ma- a lot more than originally yeah. thought. And government will, will it be money well spent? Will will be, well, well, that's the big question mark for Cork. I mean, the, the idea is to make Cork a strong regional yeah. city. The convention centre brings people into a myriad of conventions and conferences, concerts and so on like that. So it would overall be good for the city. 2016 was the turning of the, of the, of the first sod, as I often say. We should hopefully see the second one soon. Can well, I? Well, I'm not, I'm not digging. I wasn't a part of that. I know you weren't. Not, I'm not blaming you I'm for not going to dig any I'm not blaming you for that. I'm not, I know you're not. All I'm going to do is make sure. Okay. I'll be there when it's complete. Be all on your own current uh, assignment, uh, foreign affairs. Um, the scenes out of... Uh, the Middle East in the last week. Um, shocking beyond belief. Shocking. It, it, it is absolutely shocking. And I came back from the Middle East four weeks ago. We were down and we were depressed because we felt there was no momentum in the political process there and there was more expansions in the West Bank from settlers and there was a lot of fatalism about But nobody, nobody anticipated the barbaric attack on Israeli civilians, women and children, elderly mm. people. Kids at a music music festival. 1,300 people massacred in an indiscriminate and random way. And we do have to separate that out from all of the... There there is traditionally, as you know yourself, Michal, there is traditionally an empathy with the Palestinian cause in among the Irish people. Yes. Right? Um, But I spoke to a man on Wednesday or Thursday. He said, this goes way beyond that. He's right. It it does go way beyond that. But is, is is, is the Israel... Um, counter now. I come, is, that, I come is, that, that, is that over the top? I'll come to that in one second. Please do, I, I do yeah. think your point and that gentleman's comment, we have to always take time out and, and uh, understand where Israelis are now coming from following that massacre. And we saw it in an Irish family mm. with, with yeah. Kim Dempsey, a beautiful young woman, her life ahead of her. I spoke and to that her. Other young man, I spoke that other to man, the Hand, Mr. Hand and his daughter, yeah. um, eight years of age. Um, and so. But to move, what I would say then is two wrongs don't make a right, and the prop, like Israel has a right to self-defense. I think Israel has a right to address Hamas now because Hamas has declared war on its people, and but, but and they have to deal with Hamas, and Hamas will embed itself amongst populations and so on. But mm. there cannot be collective punishment. You cannot. Like uh, attack an entire star- population. Starving a population of electricity yeah, and that's water. Not, that's not acceptable. That's not right. That's contrary to yeah. all the Geneva Convention. It's contrary to all international law. But they law. seem determined to do it. And we are saying they have to rescind that. And we're calling along with the United Nations and mm-hmm. other countries for Israel to rescind that call. Yeah. You cannot move a million. We're on the Security Council also, at the moment. No, we're not. We were. But we are very... A lot of countries... On, by the way, what you said about Ireland's position in Palestine. A lot of people accept Ireland's bona fides. So the first foreign minister 
I rang was a Jordanian, uh, Safadi, Minister Safadi, who was very well briefed in these issues to get a regional um, analysis because they're very worried about a, a spillover into Lebanon. They're very worried about a spillover into the West Bank itself. And so there's a huge effort on made to calm things down. Mm. Ireland at the moment is working with the United Nations to get humanitarian corridors okay. into Gaza. It's very bad in Gaza right now. Oh, yeah. And the, the World the, Health the, the Organization. Pitches, we, got, we got a file yeah. sent to us overnight yeah. during the week and like stuff you could not possibly publish, Michal. It is Stomach churning stuff. It's, it's horrible, horrendous stuff. And, uh, horrible stuff. So I, I believe there's a need for restraint, notwithstanding the anger in Israel at the moment. Uh, the, 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 there's an, you, you can't move a million people out of a city like that in 24 hours. And that's, that's not that they're not to do. Come here. I'm researching, or I was researching a little piece for, for the Hollybow this, this year, and I came across a statistic. Um, it's just about 31 years now since you were the Lord Mayor. Do you, get, do you ever get sick of this racket, do you? I don't. It's <laughs> a good point, actually. Mary asks that every now and again um, at, at home, but... <laughs> yeah, 31, 90, 92, 93. I, was, I, I still was, have a great enthusiasm for it, and yeah. um, I particularly like foreign affairs, and I'm finding defence um, very interesting, a new area for me as well. Um, and um, I have this sort of, how would I put it, sort of instinctive interest in, 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 in politics um, and manage, you know, being part of a three-party government has its own challenges as well, and particularly in the budget. So the last two months have been fairly hectic because of foreign affairs um, mm. and, and, and the challenges of that, but also trying to get a budget over the line. Yeah. Um, and, and we did it, um, notwithstanding the challenges. We didn't get everything right, I, I have no doubt, mm. um, in, in relation to it. But I think it's, to me, like Ireland has in overall terms over 30 years has 40 years has really transformed as a country mm. but we have to persist and we have to always well, seek people, to improve people are, still, people are still struggling and hopefully the better yes, days and will, I don't will mean come that, for I, them but I just mean yeah. and that's why I'm in politics to see yeah. can we continue to improve things and you're, and you're but stay. also when you see we just discussed the Middle East you know yeah. Like as a Minister for Foreign Affairs all I'm witnessing around the world is decline disintegration disruption violence that's all I'm witnessing uh-huh. conflict and you can tip over very easily so there is a need for all of us in politics and and in, in Ireland to be very wary, keep the keep the and, and keep, keep the, the focus level. and keep our heads level and keep and to make sure we keep what we have. It's Friday, so we want to lighten it up a small bit. Will you get to see the match? Are you going? Oh, yes. I'm not, yeah. going, I'm not going to Paris or, or to, to the, the, the France sorry, uh, for the, for the quarter final. I kind of hope maybe we'll we'll progress. Uh, it's a fantastic journey so far, uh, and I will probably go up with some friends you're a mad guy uh, man but do you watch the rugby oh I do yeah, yeah. well you see when you grew up in Cork yeah. I was only born around a corner from Musgrave Park we used to play rugby on concrete and that's why I have a crown here I'm sure Peter O'Malley uh, a very rudimentary well. scrum in the concrete and <laughs> gone went to front two the mother was I could still hear my mother screaming he's he's front two he's front two <laughs> and so yeah I do and uh, I come from a sporting family uh, so we watch all codes and Turtles Cross Soccer Pitch around the corner yeah. and then Nemo of course you might uh, be found in the, there'll be a crowd I said there'll be a rugby crowd in Nemo tomorrow night Michal always a pleasure to have you in the, in the studio good luck with everything that you do we don't always agree but today yes. we'll agree we're, we're, we're Irish fans yes just absolutely. some I'm mean, Antonista and Minister for Foreign Affairs uh, Michal Martin thank you very much this is the Opinion Live with Hidden Hearing changing lives with the latest hearing health technology they're all ears visit hiddenhearing.ie Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.